So there's a lot of things that we can do in the recruiting process to help with diversity and driving diversity into our organization. Hi, I'm Nils Vinya, and you're listening to the B2B Leadership Podcast, a show dedicated to demystifying leadership development one conversation at a time. Each week, I sit down with leaders in the B2B space to discuss their journey and what they've learned along the way. This podcast is brought to you by the B2B Leaders Academy. The cost of not consistently developing your leadership skills is enormous, and the B2B Leaders Academy features monthly leadership training and live coaching. Being a great leader isn't hard, you just need a guide and the right set of tools. So head on over to b2bleadersacademy.com to join and become the leader you have always wanted to be. Hello and welcome to another episode of the B2B Leadership Podcast. My name is Nils Vinya and today my guest is Tiana Schisler. Tiana, welcome to the show. Thank you. Thanks for having me, Nils. Oh, my pleasure. I'm Super excited to dig into all things leadership with you, but first, would you share with the audience a little bit about who you are and where you're working today? Yeah, my name is Tiana. I am working with a growth phase startup company called Impulse Mobile. I am the director of HR and talent acquisition at this company. I have a master's degree in social work, actually, even though I lead HR and talent acquisition. So my background actually started out with communication, but I did go into more of the direction of social work to really combine my communication skills and my love of people to be a little bit more focused in the business world, but to really make sure that I'm, I'm focusing on a more humane element in the business world. And it's been a lot of fun. I look at the people elements very differently and uniquely. I love it. I love the work that I do. And I think I bring a unique perspective to my company. And I think that we really do provide our employees a quality experience. And that's very much what I'm about. And I get to lead. I'm, I'm very fortunate to have some leaders and executives behind me who support me in my mission to make sure that we have quality experiences for our employees and they allow me to do the best work that I can do to support them. That's fantastic. And there's uh, so many great parts that you just mentioned that I want to dig into. So let me first start by asking about the social work. For those of us who might not know exactly what having a master's in social work entails, can you give us a little background as to what exactly that means? Then I want to find out about how that applies to your role in, in the leadership world overall, but really curious about the starting points because I've heard that term a lot and I know there's probably a variety of definitions. What does it really mean to have a master's in social work? <laughs> you know, what's so funny is that I think most people, when they think about social workers, sometimes there's a little bit of a negative identification on social work and social work it can sometimes be affiliated with uh, baby snatchers. When I first got into grad school, that's what they were referred to as. But social workers can do so, so much. And the more traditional, I think, direction for social workers is to be more in child protective services is is what we hear about. My area of focus is, is more non-traditional and I work more with employees and people. But most social workers do have a foundational skill set of clinical work. 
Talk, which is therapy and getting a skill set in in therapeutic settings. So learning a clinical background in psychology and really applying those skill sets to what they're doing. We learn a lot about policy. We learn about just different techniques in that field. And then as I grew, I think also in the the foundational work, I I learned a lot about some neuroscience too, which was really, really interesting and learning about the brain and brain development. As I developed, I actually kind of took my skill set differently in my second year to be learning a little bit more about people, people functions, and more on the macro level of the field of you know, things like programs and program development and people in programs and organizational development. So a lot of that is like skills that I use today. And there's a lot of strategy in my work that I use today. It's really fascinating that I probably would never have drawn the line between social work and organizational development. But as you just described it there, psychology, policy programs, like that makes a lot of sense. That's super cool. How has your background in social work enabled you to be successful in your role as an HR leader with your company and in your career? It's helped me because I can be very adaptable. I can understand people on a micro level. So really being empathetic to individuals in the moment when they're expressing concerns, but also I'm able to look at the organization as a whole and understand what is the business need what does you know the business in society look like in a world like today we have to think about ethical business and we have to think about like how does the business function in society and things like diversity is super important in in a business and how do we how do we function and how are we making an impact in our community. Like what's our carbon footprint? (laughs) How are we making change? So many things that are these layers and these dynamics. So I think about things in many different ways. I think about the person in the organization and I think about the organization as a whole. So I'm able to kind of think in layers and kind of bring myself from the micro level to the meso level to the macro level. Wow. That's, I mean, a fantastic skill set for the role that you have being the director of HR. You mentioned diversity there. Let's go down that path a little bit. And I would love to hear about your thoughts on diversity. You are a fast-growing technology company. Sometimes these companies are not the most well-known for having a diverse workforce. So how do you approach diversity from the Impulse Mobile perspective? Yeah, diversity is something that we always need to think about and diversity is something that we have to be proactive about. I think diversity, we have to think about in, again, layers. So diverse perspectives is is something that you have to add to your conversation on a regular daily basis. It's something that you have to be proactive about and be actively having conversations about. So diversity for us comes from the recruiting efforts. So where are we strategically placing ourselves to make sure we're attracting diverse talent? So whether that's like 
we were just at a recruiting event for hiring veterans. And how are we thinking about like, what is diversity? What kinds of layers of diversity are there? There's so many kinds of different diversity. So there's getting ourselves ahead of the diversity metric and making sure that we're always putting ourselves out there in front of so many different kinds of opportunities with talent. We actually have an applicant tracking system that is an unconscious application bias process. So that way we look at the applicant's skill set instead of the applicant's name. So there's a lot of things that we can do in the recruiting process to help with diversity and driving diversity into our organization. But on top of that, we want to also educate around diversity in having a more inclusive workplace. So we are very, very fortunate to be working at Impulse Mobile in healthcare. And healthcare is a very universal topic and a universal universal thing. Everybody kind of deals with healthcare, but we are working in the engagement learning space and we have some really great content, which is great because the content goes out to our clients and our customers, but we actually take that content and we educate our new hires with that content. So we have some um, content that was created and it's on diversity. And so all of our new hires get to take that diversity course and then they get to do part of it as part of their onboarding process. And then we're having diversity discussions on a regular basis, on a quarterly basis. So we have like an open forum where we're facilitating diversity discussions to just have it be part of like the regular conversation. There's so many different things that we can do. I'm constantly getting feedback about like, hey, this is what I want to see. This is what I want to see. This is what I'm curious about learning a little bit more about. So always having that open door policy of like, what else What else could we be doing? And what more is there to do? And what more can we welcome? Because that's what we want to do. I'm curious from a leadership perspective inside of your company, is this something that you know you are championing or is this something led by the founders? Is it embedded in your culture? Like how did that amount of progress and focus on diversity actually take shape over time? It has been an evolution for sure. With any kind of initiative, there's always gonna be a little bit of a champion and a, a bit of like, we don't really know where to start. We're not sure what we're doing. There were definitely some employees who have been interested. And this has been multiple areas of interest from our employees, where whether it comes to culture, whether it comes to company giving. We've had employees who have said, hey, I'm interested in seeing this. Can we do more? And that is kind of how our diversity initiative started. There were some pieces that I did directly say, okay, we're going to be doing this because I want to get ahead of this. But there were some other areas where the employees actually drove some initiatives and were like, hey, can we do this? And I said, sure, why not? Let's let's try it. Some of it hasn't always been successful, but we're definitely willing to try some things out and then see how it goes. But we've had a lot of employee champions who've been interested in leading things. And we do have an uh, executive sponsor who's actually our chief technology officer. And he's been very much behind the diversity initiatives and really kind of rallying this group together who've been very much advocates of the diversity initiatives and meeting with them regularly and, and trying to get some things along. They've been very busy. So it's been a little bit more of a virtual group these days, but he definitely does support them. And, and we want to see things get across the, the finish line to get done. Yeah, there's things on the on a regular basis. And that's really cool how you have both grassroots efforts from, you know, being started by employees and, and empowering them. And then you have top down support from your executive as well. And that makes total sense why you've been able to make as much progress as you have. Very cool. So I want to come back to 
your transition from social work into HR. How exactly did that happen? This is not the most likely scenario of somebody in social work going into HR. So tell us about how you got involved in HR. Would love to hear the story. Yeah, you know, it's kind of an interesting story. So my real roots of getting into HR, I will say, kind of came out of being a resident assistant back in college. That job is very much, when I think about it now, it's very much HR focused. When I went into the social work program in grad school, I actually thought I wanted to go more of a traditional route. But as I was applying to the program and I had gotten in, I was also an RA at the time. And so when I had gotten that job being an RA, I just loved that job. I loved working with the students. I loved developing the students. The students would come to me and ask me to help them with their resume. So this happened to be like a skill I was naturally developing and didn't realize what I was doing. And so it was just things that kind of were coming in my way. And then as I got into social work school, I realized that the program I was in had this more non-traditional route that I could develop and foster the skills that I had as an RA to go down this more non-traditional route where I could go into HR. And it wasn't specifically HR that I wanted to go down initially. It was a specific piece of HR, which was employee engagement. And that was where I started actually out at Warner Brothers. And I work there doing my field work. And I just focus on employee engagement for that year. And it was a lot of fun. It was really about driving engagement efforts, understanding deep roots of like why we engage employees, what's the reason for engaging employees, which is really about retention efforts, right? And then what are ways to engage them on different layers? Again, layers. We engage them in many different ways. There's reasons for engaging them and we want to engage them not just socially because I think that's the obvious way, but we want to engage them in a more deep rooted way as well with programs like development, with programs like learning and education. We want to engage them with purpose. And so there, there was a lot there with Warner Brothers and Warner Brothers is a really great company that has missions behind engagement and they have like a whole group of interest groups with diversity and inclusion efforts. They have people interest groups. And so it's very important to make sure that individuals see themselves as part of the company and others within the company like themselves. Because if you see somebody like yourself, you're going to more likely want to stay at a company where it has others like yourself. There's all these pieces that are part of engagement to hopefully in the long run, retain your employees. So that's kind of where my interest kind of started and then it developed out of there. And then I kind of went backwards and went back to like the traditional HR. Let me start with doing like an HR specialist type of role and, and really get the mix of what true HR is. And then I'll build from there. And, and then I got back to going into more of the startup world, which is where driving the engagement is important but also building the culture is, is super important and developing our employees and starting really good foundations for a company as you build it up are super important. And that's where I've been and that's where I've been growing the culture. That's fantastic. That's an awesome ride, right? And there's the common thread of you continuously looking to push the envelope of what you enjoy, what you are good at. 
while leveraging all these unique skill sets and talents, everything from social work to being an RA, right? There's a, sometimes that RA position, pretty thankless job back then. And there might've been a few HR violations that I committed to against my RA way back. We won't get into too much of that, but you sound like a much better RA than I ever had. That was definitely a fun job. <laughs> awesome. We'll get back to the interview in just a minute. This episode is brought to you by the B2B Leaders Academy. The cost of not consistently developing your leadership skills is enormous. The B2B Leaders Academy features monthly leadership training and live coaching. Being a great leader isn't hard. You just need a guide and the right set of tools. Head on over to b2bleadersacademy.com to join and become the leader you've always wanted to be. Now let's get back to the interview. In your role today, I know you're oftentimes working very closely with the leaders within your company. So I want to get your perspective on a couple of different topics, things that are consistent across all the leaders that I work with and have heard. And these are consistent themes. These are not specific to you necessarily, but would love for your perspective on how to think about situations like these. So the first one is, you know, sometimes people, even in a leadership position, feel like they're being set up to fail. And by that, I mean, they just don't feel equipped with the tools, don't feel supported by the organization, by their leader, by their team, whatever it is. And I'm curious, one, what you think of that position that somebody might be in, and two, what advice you might have for somebody in that position for how to get out of that position. Some of my advice for an individual who may find themselves in a, a situation like this is really to understand what their boundaries are. So if you're in a role where you're feeling like, or you're in a position where you're feeling like you're, you're set up to fail, is there anything that you feel like you can do about it? But first of all, I would recommend, what are your boundaries? Like, what are you willing and not willing to do here? Because that's really gonna help you figure out and determine what's the next step here. If you're willing to do something, or if you have some willingness here, then you're gonna be able to kind of navigate to the next steps. Once you're kind of, found what some of those boundaries are, then you'll want to kind of move into what are some action steps here. If you have some willingness and you want to kind of move towards some action steps, I would have you start to explore, especially if you're in a role where you have a manager, and it depends. I don't know what, if it's a position in there in an individual contributor or if they're in a manager role, it, it will kind of vary. But in individual contributor role, that's going to probably be majority of the uh, situations. I would say highly, highly recommend having an upfront conversation with your manager to set up some expectations and be upfront about having transparency with your manager and, and letting your manager know, I'm not feeling like I'm set up for success at this time. A lot of times I think managers do think that they may be setting up their direct report for success and they may not be. From an HR perspective, I do a lot of work with managers and, and I do think managers, you know, they, they think they're on the right track, but they don't do a great job about always checking in with their direct report to see, hey, let's, let's touch bases, let's make sure that we know 
what's going on here. I would highly encourage, because that also puts you in the place of empowerment and saying, hey, I'm going to take some control here and I'm going to take the driver's seat and I'm going to say, hey, I don't feel right here. And that's absolutely okay. And if you don't feel comfortable with your manager or feel comfortable going to that place, definitely engage your HR person. Everyone's HR person is different. I do know that. But hopefully you have a really good HR person who you feel comfortable going to that you can share these thoughts with and hopefully they're somebody that you can be in a safe zone with. So that way either they can help you navigate the conversation or they can either step in to help you navigate the conversation because there should be some kind of comfort level there so that you can have that open space and that open conversation with with your manager to kind of get to the next steps. You don't want to be in a place or you don't want to be in a situation where you are set up for failure because that's not going to be helpful for you at all, but it also won't be helpful for, you know, your manager or your role. Like you you want to be in a place where you can be successful and set up for success. Absolutely. And notice that every piece of advice and every step that you gave, thank you for laying that out so clearly, was 100% in control of the individual. It was not, well, you got to go wait for the organization to make a change or you got to, you know, go find a new job. No, there are immediate action steps that you can take that you 100% can control. Defining your boundaries. Can you do that? Absolutely. Yes. Is it terrifying? Maybe. It might be a little scary if you've never done that before, but what are you really willing to accept and would do and what are you not willing to do? And then, you know, bringing that conversation to the forefront with your manager Right? Again, completely within your control. They may not have any idea about what you're going through. And it is really important to, you know, effectively manage up in that situation and tell them honestly about where you are. But to do it in a way that you come out sounding like, I really want to make sure that I'm contributing at the highest level to this company and to you as the leader. I'm just struggling with where I'm at right now, you know, and it's okay to ask for help. It is, it's absolutely okay to ask for help. And I do think sometimes baby steps are okay in this process, especially if you're moving towards a place of a comfort level and you're not comfortable. A lot of times I do recommend like a practice or just interaction, like HR person is a great person to practice with, but if you don't, you know, if you don't feel comfortable with the HR person, you can practice with someone at home, just the dialogue and the conversation or practice with a friend. So you can just practice, what are you going to say in this kind of scenario? Write it down if you need to, just so that you can have the dialogue so you can be clear about your message because the more clear you can be, the more likely you're going to get the results that you want. Yeah, nothing more frustrating than feeling something, kind of letting it out as a result of an expression of feeling and then not getting the result because it wasn't communicated properly in the right way to the right person at the right time. A little bit of planning goes a long, long way and it makes a difficult conversation infinitely easier, 100%. All right, cool. Awesome advice on that topic. Okay, here's another one. Trying to be someone that you're not. So sometimes, you know, people for one reason or another might get promoted into a position or end up at some point due to a reorganization in a position that doesn't really align with them. So what advice and thoughts do you have about someone in a position where, you know, they feel like they're trying to be someone that they're not? I'm a really big 
proponent of authenticity. It, today's world is very much about authenticity and being in your true self and your true authentic self. In today's market and in the world, in the competitive job market in general, it does feel like things are constantly in competition and that you have to kind of be somebody else to, to level up or get to the next place. But you don't have to be. I think one of the most important things to do is just to make sure that you're spending enough time self-reflecting and understanding what it is that you want and know what it is that, again, like your boundary setting, what are you willing to do and what are you not willing to do? So understanding boundaries with yourself, understanding what, what truly it is that you're interested in, and to also kind of exploring and understanding when to maybe say no, because those are really tricky times. I see this a lot, I will say, with engineering roles. <laughs> I think the natural progression of development for engineering that we think or we may identify is that maybe we have an engineer who's very, very strong and we want to develop them and move them into a manager role. And that may not be the best next step, but what can we do to develop an engineer? Is it that we want to move them into a manager? It doesn't have to be. We can develop and, and grow an engineer and they don't have to manage, but we can you know, support them in growth and be a very strong senior architect or a senior level engineer and really just continue to develop and foster their skill set and they don't have to, you know, manage people. And so there's a lot of great ways, especially if, you know, somebody's wanting to develop and they don't necessarily want to manage people because managing people is a really big deal. It's a hard job. People skills, uh, communication skills, sometimes you have to uh, performance manage and that's not always fun. There's a lot that goes involved in, in that. But if you're interested in developing, it is absolutely okay to advocate for yourself and advocating for yourself does not mean that you have to to manage. There's ways to level up. That does not mean that you have to become, you can be a leader without being a people leader. And I think that's so important for individuals to recognize and understand being a leader in general. You can be a, you can be a very strong leader and have leadership skills without being a people leader. Yeah, I agree a hundred percent. And the tragedy that happens all too often, one of my guests a few shows ago talked about it as take your best performing person, you promote them into a role they're not equipped, not supported, not enabled to be successful at, and then you lost your best performing person and you also gained a poor manager for no fault of their own other than they weren't set up for success. Now that's like a double whammy. You, you lost twice and the simple fact was, you know, this is a different skill set. Well, let's find the appropriate person based on the potential for skill set, as opposed to just, you're the best person on the team, you should manage this. And that one is, uh, it, I've seen it happen too many times, been the victim of it myself, not having been promoted, but someone on the team got promoted and then was in that situation. And frankly, most of the team usually didn't work out very well and we didn't last too long. Yeah, and then like kind of on the topic of like advocating for yourself, advocating for yourself can mean many things. If you're truly being authentic to yourself, how do you advocate for yourself and what does that look like? Are you advocating for yourself as far as like compensation, as far as like development opportunities, as far as like job titles? What is it that you need to advocate for yourself for and what do you what do you want out of that? And reach out to your HR partner and, and see how, how to navigate those conversations if you need help with that. 
because those can be very sensitive and tricky topics too. And how do you navigate those conversations? Yeah, because there's a fine balance between what I want as the, whether I'm the leader or an individual, whoever I am, and what the organization needs and how can I get what I want and how can the organization get what it needs and how do I even bring that up? That can be a challenging, very challenging topic. But it all starts back with the control piece that you were talking about before is taking small steps and defining what is it that you want? What are the actions that you can take? What are you willing to do and not willing to do? And I think that's really what I'm getting from you is that all these things can be complex and challenging and not very you know enjoyable sometimes going through them. However, they can all be 100% controlled by an individual in the situation in order to get them out of the situation. All right, last one. Tell me, and I have a feeling which way you'll go based on our previous conversation here on these questions, but agree or disagree and why with the statement that every employee is the CEO of his or her career? Totally agree. <laughs> Definitely. Mm -hmm. And why? <laughs> Tell me why. And why I would say because all individuals really, employees are, are kind of in charge of their own future in a way. So every employee is their own business. If we're looking at it that way, you're in the driver's seat. So you get to make the decisions of whether you're gonna make that right turn at the light or you're gonna just keep going straight. So it's really about like the, the decision making in the driver's seat. If the employee is really that CEO and where they're going, they, they really get to kind of navigate and they get to really kind of make the decisions and make the calls. And I, I believe that it's really kind of a, a form of empowerment. As an employee, you get to be empowered to make those decisions and, and decide what you want to do. And only you as the employee know what's best for you because only you know yourself best. 100%, love it, said perfectly. All right, last question before we wrap up here. So if you could have a sit down conversation with yourself back in that RA position way back in college, which was the start of your HR career, really, and you know everything that you know today that you've been through in your personal professional life and whatnot, what advice would you give your younger self in that RA position knowing what you know now? You know, I've always been a patient person, but I think I would still give myself the advice of continuing to be patient just because I've wanted things to like happen for me like quicker, I guess. It all works out the way it's supposed to. <laughs> and I think like I've realized that as I've gotten older and you know, when you just kind of sit there and wait for things to roll out the way they are. I think there's a kind of a balance as well. Like I have made decisions where I've been able to put myself into situations where or or strategically kind of and place myself in, into places where I've had opportunity to be successful. And, and that was very kind of smart, I guess, on my end. But I've kind of thought, oh, well, this is never going to happen. And that's not true. Like if you're doing the right thing and making yourself making decisions that you want to make and you're telling yourself hey you know like just wait it out it will work out the way it's supposed to it, it really will 
you know, 20 something wouldn't love to hear, hey, be patient, <laughs> even though, you know, it might not be completely well received at the time, just given the nature of where you are. But I always love to ask that question because there's so much um, wisdom and experience that comes with time. And, you know, looking back on that time, and there are, you know, people who aren't that far from that, or maybe some that are a little bit further down the line, but we can all learn from being patient because that is an incredible skill and incredible leadership skill in and of itself. Tiana, it was absolutely wonderful to catch up with you today, talk about leadership, talk about your progression from social work to HR, and you know some of these sticky situations that leaders find themselves in. Really appreciate the advice that you shared. I know this audience will take an awful lot away from this conversation. So thank you very much for joining me today. Yes, thanks, Nels. This is fun. All right, I'll take care and I'll talk to you soon. Yeah, bye. Thank you for listening to the B2B Leadership Podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, I'd welcome you to subscribe and give the show a five-star review. You can see the show notes and all of the resources mentioned in today's episode at b2bleadershippodcast.com. As always, I'm Nils Vinya, and I hope you'll join us again next week. Take care and have a great rest of your day. This podcast is brought to you by the B2B Leaders Academy. The cost of not consistently developing your leadership skills is enormous. And the B2B Leaders Academy features monthly leadership training and live coaching. Being a great leader isn't hard. You just need a guide and the right set of tools. So head on over to b2bleadersacademy.com to join and become the leader you have always wanted to be.